Before we get going, here's the bit where I remind you that nothing we discuss during the narrative game should be considered as investment advice. This conversation is for informational and hopefully entertainment purposes only. So while we hope you find it both informative and entertaining, please do your own research or speak to a financial advisor before putting a dime of your money into these crazy markets. And now, on with the show. everybody to another episode of The Narrative Game. I'll be joined shortly by my partner in crime in this particular series, Ben Hunt, author of Epsilon Theory. Uh, and there is, as always, so much to talk about that revolves around narrative, revolves around how we think we see the world and how the world actually is. And uh, as always, I'm so excited to have a chance to talk to Ben about this stuff. So instead of me wittering on, let's bring Ben in and talk about the world around us. Ben, my friend, always so good to see you. It's been way too long since the last time we did this, but uh, I'm delighted you've found some time in your week for me because I know you've been a very, very busy man lately. Well, it's great to be back with you, Grant. Thanks for having me. Always fun. Now, you you and I were chatting before we started recording this. There are are so many things we can talk about, but um, I, I I think the one that I think we should focus on is the one that you wrote about a year or so ago. It's a topic that I've largely steered away from. You've written a few things about it and caught a few people by surprise in, in what you wrote. I think people that didn't read it properly perhaps didn't quite get where you're coming from. And that's your work. Uh, I think the piece was called In Praise of Bitcoin. It was roughly a that's year ago. Yeah, no, almost almost exactly a year ago, late yeah. April of last year. So obviously there, there's been all kinds of stuff going on between now and then. It's kind of crescendoed in a way in this past week. So I thought perhaps we could talk about that because the way you wrote about it was – usually brilliant, typically brilliant. But I think a lot of people, kind. perhaps at the time, you know, you changed your avatar on Twitter. A lot of people, yeah. there was a lot yeah. of outrage about it for people who saw the visual but didn't read the writing. So so, so let's just go back and have a recap on, on what the point was you were trying to make when you wrote about that. Sure, sure. And, and I and I did change my, my avatar in everything I write is um, uh, Ptolemy, right? The most famously wrong scientist ever, <laughs> <laughs> right? Yeah. And uh Starting with this note, and I've, I've kept it this way, as a, a sign of appreciation and, frankly, as a sign of cultural appropriation, right. is I, you know, I, I gave my you know, old school picture of Ptolemy, I gave him laser eyes. And when I wrote this note in praise of Bitcoin, that was really sincere. It is in praise of Bitcoin. It's in praise of the entrepreneurial spirit, the autonomous foundations that all of the OG Bitcoin people, right, that I've ever met, certainly possess. You know, it's a, it's a positive energy. It's a long-term horizon. It's, a, it's an effort to build something from the bottom up. It's so closely allied with everything I believe in and everything I've tried to build around Epsilon theory. And my, my belief, and the reason I wrote this note, is that when you enter the world of money, as Bitcoin was was set up to do, yep. right? It was set up to be part of the money changers table, right? At the yes, temple, exactly right. 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 That when you do that, you don't get banned, you don't get kicked out, right? You get absorbed, you get co-opted, uh, you you turn Bitcoin again, which I I think is a is a work of art. And and I and that's, I really mean that, and that's why to me Bitcoin will always have value. It is elegant art, 
really is. It's brilliant. And it has every quality of good art. But what's happened, and I was writing about it a year ago, and I, and I think we've seen it completely come to fruition today, is that Bitcoin is turned into, and I'm going to, this doesn't work on a podcast, right? because I want to make, I want to make the jazz hand sign, right? Bitcoin has been turned into Bitcoin, you know, with a trademark sign and an exclamation mark and italics. That's the way I write it. It's been transformed into another game at the Wall Street casino. It's been transformed into number go up. It's been transformed into another security in exactly the same way, Grant. I know this is, uh, you know, your audience will, will, will appreciate this. In exactly the same way that gold was transformed into GLD, mm-hmm. ETF. Yep. And that transformation, when that ETF was launched, right, it changed the meaning of gold. It changed gold from, all right, a store of value, something you use to protect yourself, your family, and the like from all sorts of things, right, including, you know, inflation and, and the like. And it turned it into an instrument, Yep. an instrument to make a bet, my view on, you know, your confidence in the competence of central banks. That's what, that's the meaning, I think, of GLD, you know, uh, the, the ETF. And um, it changes everything. It changes your entire system of thinking. It, and it's, and it just made me really sad yeah. when I wrote this note. And what we're seeing today, Grant, is not just that having come to pass with, with, with Bitcoin, turning it into Bitcoin, but it's also happened with the whole DeFi movement, decentralized finance. Again, something where the original practitioners here, they're my kind of people. They're your yeah. kind of people, yeah. right? It's, it's, it's looking to, my God, we, if there's a more corrupt, self-serving, entrenched, anti-autonomy, anti-democracy, anti-small liberal virtues entity as the traditional financial system, I, I don't know what it could be. Amen, brother. Right. Well, yes, I do. I mean, what it would it would be the U.S. Treasury. That would be the, well, that would be yes, just okay. you know even more so. Which I also write a lot about in, in in praise of Bitcoin because hand in hand with the Wall Streetification, the securitization of Bitcoin has been its transformation into something that the U.S. Treasury, I like to call the Eye of Sauron, right, can see because that's their goal is to see all the money in the world. So all of these things are happening. And they've happened maybe even faster, more visibly around DeFi. The DeFi has been turned into DeFi, mm. right? A world of Terra and Luna and, you know, FTX and Alameda Research and Sam Bankman Freed. I mean, I mean it, it's, it's both sad and frankly frightening to me that it could happen at this sort of a pace. Right. That it happens without people really seeing that it happened that it's just become the water in which we swim. Yes. Another great piece. Yeah. And for all those reasons, I, I mean, I, I'm, I'm, I'm so glad to be on you know, this podcast with you. It's a note I'm writing today. Is it sounding an alarm? I, kind of, kind of. It, it, it's trying to, I, I think that without stepping back and seeing, I'm mixing metaphors here, but what the hell, right? Seeing the water in which we swim. We're just so doomed to, 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 to replace one horrible set of institutions with another. You know, in Grand, you know, I was going to start off this, this note with, you know, I was telling you about this quote. I, I picked up my copy of Animal Farm the other day, and it's the last sentence in Animal Farm. I'll, I'll read the sentence, right? And then 
you know, I, I think people will remember you know, yeah. eighth grade when they read Animal Farm. Right. Here's, the, here's the lessons of Animal Farm. The creature is outside, creatures outside the house, look from pig to man and from man to pig and from pig to man again. But already it was impossible to say which was which. Right? That's the plot of Animal Farm. The, the animals rise up against the yep. humans there on the farm. And the pigs are the leaders. They say, yay, we know how to do it. We can do it. And then at the end, the other animals on the farm look in the windows and the, the pigs and the men, they're indistinguishable. They're having dinner together. Yep. Yeah. And that's where we are with the whole crypto industry. The whole crypto industry. It just makes me sick. All the shills, all the, the people who have subverted that positive energy for their own for their own ends, right? Like people always do and always have done in our business. Yeah, it's. I mean, it, it was always inevitable this would happen. I think the speed with which it's happened, because you're you're right. You know, Bitcoin was a piece of art, and I think that's one of the reasons why there's this kind of vitriol around it, because the people that still see it as art are clinging so desperately to that perfect vision, without necessarily understanding what was bound to happen to it. Once, to your point, it got co-opted by the financial industry. It was this was always going to happen. You know, the question, I guess, remains, can it be saved in any way, shape, or form? Can it be uh, apart from the financial system? It's hard to see how that happens now, particularly with what's happened this week and the, the need for added regulation. Can that elegant solution be directed towards problems that aren't related with number go up and people getting rich? Because it's become synonymous with getting rich rather than becoming a solution. And that to me, is where all the hubris has been focused, where all the animosity has been focused. Is there a way for Bitcoin to to stay true to what it was designed to be, or is its ultimate co-option inevitable now? Well, what was it designed to be, Grant? I mean, that's kind of where I get well, it. I mean, this, this is what I mean yeah, when I say it's that question. it's art. When I say this art, it, it just is. I, I, my view, Bitcoin just is. It's cool. It's elegant, but it's not. It's not a right. technology. Give me a fucking break, right? I, I, you know, there's the, you know, the blockchain is going to start. I mean, I, I can I can name you five technologies that are far more impactful, but have one one hundredth the narrative power behind them that I think you know are have, have more ability to change the world for good or for bad. Oh, we're going to put securities on a blockchain. I, I mean, okay. Oh, we're going to move to you know T plus one settlement instead of T plus two. <laughs> All right. <laughs> I mean, who who it's, gives it's, a damn? You know, you know, it's, it's six-minute abs from something about Mary, right? It, it's, yeah. it's, it's six-minute abs. You know, what about five-minute abs? Well, there's no five-minute abs. No, 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 no. This is six-minute abs. But Bitcoin, is that the reason why it's gone the way it has, is that you've got a bunch of people that see it as you do, as something extremely elegant. They've desperately wanted it to be a solution to every problem. And some of the narrative around that has been, look, Bitcoin will save the world. It will eat the world. It will save the world, do all these things. But ultimately, because it's become about number go up, they're just desperately clinging to that idea that it's the solution to an as yet unspecified problem. Well, I, I think what's happened, Grant, is that the crypto industry, Wall Street, they've discovered what, Hollywood's known forever. They've discovered the, the 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 secret and the power of the MacGuffin. Yeah. Right. So that's that's going to be the title of my note, the MacGuffin. Yeah. So 
lot of your, your, your listeners know, but some may not. So this, this phrase, uh, a MacGuffin, was uh, Alfred Hitchcock was the first one to kind of popularize this back in the 1940s. He was saying, look, you know, I make movies about MacGuffins. And that what is a MacGuffin? It is the object of desire. It's just, it's just the thing around which a story is built, a plot is constructed, right? In, 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 in Hitchcock's, he said, you know, in a heist movie, the MacGuffin is the jewels, right? Or yeah. the gold, right? In a spy movie, the MacGuffin is the papers, right? Or the, the file. It's the briefcase in Pulp Fiction. It's it's the, it's, it's, it's the briefcase in Pulp Fiction, right? It's 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 Private Ryan in Saving Private Ryan. Yep. It's the Maltese Falcon in the Maltese Falcon, right? It's I, I'm going to try to connect with a, a broad set of, of of listeners here. If you like the Big Lebowski, right? The, the the rug that the ties rug, the room the, together, right? That's the that's the MacGuffin, yeah. right? Uh, you know, if you if you like the Hangover, Doug, their missing friend. He's the MacGuffin. It's, it's a plot device. It's a thing around which a merry story is told, a story to entice us, a story to frighten us, a story to entertain us. Every, almost every successful movie, certainly a box office movie, successful movie you've watched in the last 40 years has a MacGuffin, right? The Infinity Stones in the, you know, in the MCU, right? It's a MacGuffin. Baby Yoda in season one right, right. of Mandalorian is a MacGuffin, right? Well, these coins, right, these objects of desire that are presented to us at the crypto gaming casino, they're all MacGuffins. They're all MacGuffins around which merry plots are constructed to entertain us, entice us, frighten us, you know, whatever it takes to get us to buy it, right? Hollywood uses these to get us to buy a ticket. Wall Street uses this to get us to buy a security, They've been transformed into MacGuffins, and then these stories are just told over and over again around them. And one of the stories for Bitcoin is, oh, it's going to change the world. That's one of the stories. That's one of the story arcs, the plots that's constructed around it. So a, you know, can, something, can something be done? I, 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 think it's, I think it's finding stories that don't have anything to do with making money. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not that we can't change because we can't change our brains and the way we are literally hardwired. You know, why does Hollywood, why is every movie a three-act play? Why does every movie introduce a MacGuffin about 15% into the, you know, around a third of the way into act one, the, the MacGuffin will be introduced? Because it works. It right. works. We, we are literally hardwired to respond to these story arcs, these three-act play structures, with an object of desire around which we construct something. You, you know, there was a, um, an interview. It came out. Oh, it was, it was with, um, who's that guy who does odd lots on Bloomberg? Joe oh, Wiesenthal. Yeah, Joe Wiesenthal, right? yeah. Right, Alley, right. Yeah. And Tracy Alloway, right. And they were doing an interview with this guy, Sam Bankman-Fried, who goes by the initials SBF. Uh, this came out late April. And uh, Matt Levine, who I think is fantastic and has written yeah, a lot about fabulous. this, um, you know, is, is, was, was also in on the interview. Now, those of you who don't know who Sam Bankman-Fried is, right, he's, he's one of the richest men in the world. He's 30 years old, and he famously wears his head hair in a big tousled mess and wears flip-flops and, you know, shorts to everything. And he's worth, I think Forbes had him last year at $24 billion. So he's the co-founder of FTX. 
the, 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 the crypto exchange, the, the most lucrative one out there. And he also runs his, a hedge fund, Alameda Research. Now, it's, again, kind of the, the water in which we swim bit around this. He's kind of like this folk hero, SBF, even his, you know, he's known by these initials. In sharp contrast to somebody like Ken Griffin, right, who does exactly the same thing, right? Right. right. I mean, exactly the same thing. Sam Bankman fried has a market maker in FTX and a big-ass hedge fund, Alameda Research. It's exactly what all the apes are up in arms about, you know, Ken Griffin. Oh, my God, he's a market maker, and he's got a hedge fund, too. Boy, I bet he's colluding. He's really screwing us. We got to, you know, Ken Griffin is the source of all evil in the world. Here's Sam Bankman fried it's the same thing. He's just as rich as Ken Griffin. But because, you know, he's got a better story around it, like, eh, okay, good for, good for Sam. Right? Well, anyway, well, he's a good guy. He's the good guy, right? He's the it's good guy. Even, he's the white hat. Percent. Yeah. Right, right, right. So in this interview, and you got to find, just look up, you know. I, I'll link the, to uh, it. Sam I'll Edward link to it in the transcript yeah. because I, it, right? I, I saw the interview too. It's, it's remarkable. Oh, my God. Right? Because what Freed is describing is how a MacGuffin works. And he's talking about what drives so much of DeFi is the is staking, right? Or a version of staking. Essentially, you are lending, and then you know you're getting these enormous rates of return in return um, by pledging or otherwise, I'll say, supporting one of these coins or one of these projects. Call them projects, or as they call them in the interview, a box. A box, right? They're magic money boxes. That's what they are, right? And that's how SBF describes it. He describes the mechanism by which the box creates value by virtue of somebody saying it has value, kind of our fiat world, and the memes and the promotionalism and, you know, say, this is how it works. He's just yield farming is what, is what they're describing, yeah. right? And you read this, you say, oh, my God. I mean, it's just, I mean, people say, oh, it's a Ponzi scheme. And I guess that's kind of right. But but what it really is is something even bigger than that, right? It's 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 how a MacGuffin works, right? It becomes call it a box, call it that object of desire that's designed to get you to put your money into it, and around which stories are constructed, merry tales are constructed around which you know you sell the box, yeah, you sell the MacGuffin. It's MacGuffins all the way down, and. I get so, what's the right word? And both, you know, it's, it, you know, I, I, I do this kind of stuff for a living, you know, the memes and the like. And, and so it's the Anchorman meme where Will Ferrell, you know, the character is, you know, it's like, you know, I'm not even angry. That's amazing. <laughs> right? Right. right. And it is, it, it's amazing, but it's, it's exactly the same idea that Hollywood's known forever. And now it's just described in its purest terms by a 30 year old who's worth $24 billion uh, by selling MacGuffins. And I swear I'm going to get back to your question. Can anything be done about it? And, and I really think it's to recognize that putting your money into Luna or the like is exactly like buying a ticket to go see the Infinity Wars movie. It's the same damn thing. It's all the same, except the ticket just costs you a lot more money. And I just want people, I'm trying to get people to recognize that it's the same damn thing. But, you know, Ben, what, what struck me about that interview was the, the naivety of SBF when he's describing this thing, right? 
you could tell he was describing it exactly as he sees it, exactly how it works. He was struggling to try and simplify it, but he was describing a Ponzi scheme. Only he hadn't joined those dots in his head because if he had, he would have gone out of his way to not describe it the way he did. And and, and in fact, that's what he did in his tweets subsequent to that. said, oh, no, no, that's not what I meant. I was just describing in the stripped down version. And of course, these things have, these projects have the merits of the project. And that was, this is my point, Grant, right? That it's bigger than being a Ponzi scheme, right? What it is, it's a MacGuffin. It's an object of desire around which a story is constructed. But, But at the core of it is just the magic box. At the core of it is just the object of desire. And everything else is constructed. Everything else is made the fuck up. Yeah. Just like a plot in Hollywood. It could be a great plot. It could be really entertaining. Man, I loved the Marvel movies, the MCU movies. I really enjoy them. But I, I recognize them for what they are. And that's my goal here in writing about this and talking about this is for people to understand. I'm not going to call them investments. To understand the way in which the same story and plot creation and story arcs and MacGuffin process of making a movie is exactly the same as making an investment product. Because that's what we call them in Wall Street. We call them products. Yeah. We do. We we call them products because that's what they are. Just like in Hollywood, you talk about the movie as being the product. The product is this thing. It contains a MacGuffin. You create a fun story around it. You market the story as best you can, and you wake up and you've made billions of dollars from other people's money. Yeah. So, so with with the with the Terra Luna collapse this week, where does that fit into this? Because you know, I was I was amazed. A lot of people got blindsided, and I've and I've spoken to people I know who've who got blindsided by that thing. Smart people who, yeah. who really got caught up in it and and know they should have known better. And, and it felt that one felt like a moment to me for, for a number of reasons because it was big enough to matter. It wasn't just some yep. Yep. unknown yep. thing yep. where money got hacked or whatever. It was big enough to matter. And it was also something that the way it happened, the way nobody even had a chance to, I'm using air quotes here, risk manage their positions, right. it went right. from 100 miles an hour to zero. You know, yep. and we've spoken about this stuff before as well. It seems impossible to me to fathom how something cannot be done about this now. Someone's going to have to step in and do something to stop this exact thing happening again. And there are examples of it all over the place. But how does this not derail a lot of these projects, Ben? Because if I'm Gary Gensler or or Janet Yellen or someone, I cannot ignore this. Surely. Yeah, I, I don't I don't even think you need Gary Gensler and the SEC, and I don't think you even need regulation to to end this now, right? Because I think that what happened, what happened with um, Terra and Luna, and that that system, I'm gonna use the phrase, it was a, it was it showed the failure of mutualized insurance. All right, what the hell do I mean by that? Mutualized insurance is when the participants in a system Say, hey, we've got a great thing going here. Isn't this great? Man, we're raking the money in. We're the whales. Right? Man, this is super. All right. We don't want this. We don't want some other whale over here to try to destabilize this and throw us out. So we need to, 
we need to kind of put some money aside. We're going to make a little kitty here, right? So that we can withstand an attack. And so we can basically it's self-insurance, right? Mutualized insurance is the parties involved say, we're going to insure ourselves. And it's what was done for thousands of years in the banking system, right? There wasn't, there wasn't a sovereign to bail out a bank, you know, the house of Fugger or, you know, mm-hmm. Medici or whatever, right? It was, no, nah, we just got to insure ourselves. And they did, you know, they were, they, they, because what they realized was if you, if that trust breaks, right? If, 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 if the run on the bank <laughs> means that, oh shit, I've got no recourse, then people will stop using your bank. They'll start stop transacting with you. There'll be that loss of trust. Now, a decentralized system, like anything in DeFi, like anything in crypto, the limits of insurance are mutual are, is mutualized insurance. And mutualized insurance can do a lot of good things. But what we saw here, what happened was, was that there was somebody defected. I don't know who. I don't know, right? And that's where, and I, and I hate saying this is game theory, but God, I got a, I got a PhD in Harvard in game theory. So I have to talk about this. You have to use it. Yeah. Was, yeah. It's so embarrassing to talk about this, right? So this is the classic game. This is the game of mutualized insurance, right? Is, is uh, Rousseau described it as a stag hunt. And the game of stag hunt, you got some hunters, we're sitting around, we got to feed our families. And we say, look, we can all work together and we can take down this big stag. And we'll all eat like kings. Our families will eat great. It's super. But we all have to be in on it. It's, it's, it's mutualized insurance, right? We're all, like, we're all together here, right, gang? We're all together. We're going to take down the, that sack. And once you get it all together, and, they all got, and we all go out and we kill the, 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 the big deer, right? that becomes an equilibrium, meaning that it's stable. It is absolutely stable. Right? So the next time we go out to hunt, we're all going to say, well, that worked out well. Let's do that again. Sometimes what will happen in life, in the world, is that one of those groups, one of the hunters, as we go out, will, for whatever reason, break ranks. Say, nah, I'm, I'm not up for this. And they'll go and they'll kill a rabbit instead of killing the, the stag. And so all the rest of us who went out saying, okay, we're going to kill that big deer again today, right? It's going to be fine. We've all got our, each other's back. Once that first person goes, once that first whale says, nah, I'm out, the rest of us, we go hungry for a little while, right? We don't kill anything. We, we were out all day hunting for that deer, but because that one person defected, didn't do it, we come back and say, what do you mean? We didn't catch it? We, we got nothing? You got nothing. Well, that immediately shifts to the other equilibrium of the stag hunt. It's a game. A lot of games are like that. There are two equilibriums. It's not one stable position. There are two stable positions. And the second stable position in the game of stag hunt is everyone on the next hunt. Every man for himself. Every man for himself. And mutual. And what it means to be in an equilibrium is that it takes a trauma. It takes. It does. It's self-sustaining. You can't get out of it. So that's what I mean when I say I don't think we even need. And it's going to take them a freaking you know two years before you see anything rulemaking come out of Treasury or or, or SEC anything like that around stable coins or anything like that. Even so, it'll be done in Korea or whatever. And so, you know, nobody will, won't have any teeth. I don't think you need any more. None of these whales are going to say, oh yeah, man, what's, what's your idea for a project? That sounds really cool. Let me put a billion dollars into your, 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 your coin. Yeah, let's go. LFG, let's fucking go. I, I think what happened 
with the Terra Luna collapse is that the, insta- that the entire yield farming ecosystem is now dead. Its head was cut off. It'll stick around for a while because like chickens, when you cut off their head, they, don't, they run around for a while. But I think what happened with the Terra Luna collapse was a change in equilibrium from the let's all go out and hunt the big stag to it's every man for himself. Both are stable equilibria. I think Terra Luna, to your point, you know, people who should have known better with real money at stake, you, we all forget lessons, right? But mm-hmm. for the next 10 years, you think they're going to do that shit again? Nope. nope, not a chance. Not a chance. Not a chance. And as that multiplies across the entire ecosystem, I think the yield farming game is gone. I think it's gone because what we saw here was the limits of mutualized insurance. That once you have a defection, you can't trust anything in the system. Yeah. Yeah. And it, and of course, trust is so central to this whole thing. Not Not just trust in each other, but trust in the mission, trust in the outcome, trust in Bitcoin to Grant, do what it- Grant, that's that's the whole that is that yeah. is the distributed ledger system is an effort to solve the problem of distributed trust. Yep. That's that's the you asked at the very start, you know, well can it get back to be something else? Can it solve a problem? Well, there's your answer, right? It's an elegant artistic solution to the question of distributed trust. It breaks down in the financial system because you can't be big enough. It's too, it's too big. And the payoffs for somebody to break up the stag hunting party are too great. But there are lots of other places that have nothing to do with money where I would really like to see a system of distributed trust established, say around philanthropy, say around civic good and projects, right? There's no money in it. Right. And so a lot of people say, well, fuck that. I don't know. There's no money in it. And, and to me, I'd say, no. It's the feature, not the bug, that there's no yep. money in it. That's where I think it can make a difference. I think there are half a dozen other technologies that are more potentially impactful in the world for making a difference than you know, a distributed ledger. But it's fine. It's nice. I hope somebody does something with it. It's interesting, this, this idea of trust, and I, I spoke about this recently at a friend's AGM, and people don't seem to realize trust is, is cyclical, right? Trust is in constant cycle and, and we become more trusting and we become less guarded and we we let our guard down and we allow this exact scenario that just laid out to happen we allow the guy to go off and shoot the rabbit because our trust became so overwhelming that we never thought that would happen and then we go back to the other extreme again and we we refuse to trust anybody and you can follow the cycle of trust with the rise of civilizations and you can look at it trust in terms of what your money's worth there are so many ways that we trust in society today. And it's funny, as, as I gave that speech a couple of weeks ago, and I, and I look at this now, and this feels to me like peak trust. We're at the point where we've trusted a magical money box. We've trusted a MacGuffin. We've trusted everything into this this elegant solution that potentially has no there there. Is that peak trust? And if that is peak trust, what does that mean now that that has been shattered. So I think of it as slightly differently, Grant. I don't think of it as peak trust. I, I think of is, is that humans, this is another thing that's hardwired into us. And when I say hardwired, I mean literally neural connections that have evolved over uh, millions of years and that have been socially, I'll say, trained into us over tens of thousands of years. And one of them is the need to trust. Okay. We need to trust. I don't think of it as a cyclical thing. I think of it as like a, um, a, a, a beach ball, you know, that you're 
you can try to push it down underneath the water, right, of the pool, but it's going to come back up because it is fundamentally, biologically, part of the human neural condition to want to trust. And what I think's happened, Grant, is that we've seen our trust betrayed so profoundly in the political sphere that we've seen our trust betrayed so profoundly in the economic sphere that this beach ball, right? <laughs> it's, it tries to find where, who can we trust, <laughs> right? And so it comes over to this crypto space, which again is telling a story of trust. And it has an energy, I say that I, I find so powerful of autonomy, of independence, of doing well by doing good, right? All those things. And when it's in that world of money, when it's a, just another money changer's table at the temple, this is what always happens. Our trust is betrayed. And I think the answer is to find your trust, to apply your trust, not at the money changer's table, right? right. But to kick them out of the temple where the temple is your heart. And what does that leave room for is to find trust in actual real human beings who you have actual real day-to-day -day business with and interactions with. That's it. That's it. That, that's where I hope the pendulum swings, right, Grant? Because it's, I, I don't see it's kind of peak trust. It's, it's not a cyclical thing. I think it's trust is what we need to be human, but we need to give our trust to the human beings who deserve it. And you can always tell that human being who deserves it because they treat you with the trust yeah. in the same way. It's a reciprocal thing. It's not a using you as fodder or feed. It's a great point. But what's interesting is when you think of it in that context is, is how geared society has become through this era of the financialization of everything mm -hmm. for you to trust because ultimately it's all about money. It's all about making money and getting wealthy. And that, that's what it's become and so we tend to place our trust on a micro level in the community around us and, and our friends and our family where there is shared gain from shared experience. But in this world that we're talking about where Bitcoin has tried to kind of muscle in and, and show the right path, it's all about money. And so trust and money are inextricably linked in this world because you trust in order to yeah. have the bigger house, have the higher 401k portfolio number go up, whatever yeah. it may be. Right. Right. Because the application of this solution to the distributed trust problem was set up to be an application around money. Yeah. And, and what we have today is a system where it's not just that we pay less attention to the more deserving people who are around us, more deserving of our trust. It's that we willfully subject ourselves to the 24-7 blandishments of the money changers, yeah. right? I do it, right? You know, I'm, I'm picking up my smartphone here, my dopamine machine for everyone who's listening. This is the last thing I look at when I go to bed. It's the first thing I look at when I wake up in the morning. I do it to myself. I absolutely do it to myself. And the, the messages that I afflict upon myself because they hit my dopamine and norepinephrine receptors because I am hardwired to want to know more about McGuffins and Mary plots around them. The people who do this shit are gotten really, really good at yeah. this. Like Hollywood, Hollywood's great. What's, you know, 
Disney's amazing, right? Every, you know, all these movies, they follow the same three-act play structure. They follow the same introduction of MacGuffins and characters and rising action and falling action. Seriously, you know, type in three-act play plus whatever movie you want to, and you'll see the diagram out there. It's all the same diagram. Yeah. And yet it feels new and different. It's always infinitely entertaining. It's really good at this shit, Grant. Yeah, yeah. No, you're absolutely right. So, so what happened? I mean, we've, you've talked about DeFi and, and where you think that is. What happens to Bitcoin and what happens to Bitcoin at this point? Do they merge? Do they are they on separate paths? Is there any any hope for for the future? I don't know. I think it's hope. I mean, I, I mean, because it is really elegant art. It's good art. It really is. And 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 I. I actually like the whole NFT movement, right? Because it, it, it helps people see more directly that this is all art. It's not an investment. It's not a security. Right. It's right. not a product. It's not a product, right? It's, it's a thing to enjoy. It's a thing to inspire, right? That's the value in all of this. The way I think about NFTs, and, and I'm sure I'm very unsophisticated in my thinking because I don't spend enough time thinking about them, but I look at that and you just made the point in the way I think of it, is I can see how NFTs add tremendous value, but I don't see how they cre- create tremendous wealth. And I think what's, to me, what's happened is they've become vehicles to get wealthy in most people's eyes rather than vehicles to add value. And they're two very different things. Yeah, I, I, I think you ask, you know, how does it, how does it get back? I, I, I think it's very hard to unring these bells. I think that because we are hardwired to, Think of things as MacGuffins that we can create, that, and we get captivated by a merry plot to make a lot of money. Um, it, that does that never goes away. I guess is what I'm saying, Grant. Right? It never goes away. You you're never going to have the pure whatever, right? Bitcoin, no jazz hands, but just you know, oh, we've we've built this you know utopian community where this is our money. This is our yeah. our, our it. I I don't. I don't think what I'm railing against ever goes away because there's always somebody who says, oh man, I can, I can make mm-hmm. a cool story around this product, right? And do really well for myself. And everybody's going to like going to go see a good movie. People say, oh man, I really enjoyed that. I'm really liking the number go up. And, and like, I, it, it's so embedded in us. I, I don't, I don't think it ever goes away. So I, I'm, that's why I've never embraced, you know, I've, in, I love I love the Bitcoin community and I've never wanted to have anything to do with Bitcoin itself. Yeah. Because it's, it's just, it, it, it I don't, I, I really don't see how it is not constantly subverted on any sort of scale where it could make a difference in the way that I think the OG Bitcoiners thought it could. Fair enough. Well, listen. There's something else I want to talk to you quickly about sure. before we before we finish, and that is the because you know you and I talk about narrative in this, and and the Elon Musk Twitter purchase is something that kind of wraps all this up into <laughs> into an incredibly messy bundle. What's your take on that? First of all, the idea in the first place, whether it was a whim or I mean, I guess we'll never know. It, it seemed very poorly thought out. But now, what's happening with what looks like an attempt to backtrack and where does this leave us? Because whether you love it or hate it, Twitter has become important. Not not from a, a, a business standpoint, i.e. it's not making the money it could make, blah, 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 but forget that. But as a tool 
for spreading narrative, for spreading opinion, for creating harmony and division, it's become very important. So, so what does this whole Elon Musk thing mean, Ben? I, I've thought about it on, on, a, on several different levels, right? I'll kind of talk about it the comp- at the company level first. One thing that makes it very obvious is that Twitter's got a terrible board of directors. <laughs> yes, I think everyone can agree on that. <laughs> terrible board of directors. And, and that's so important because it's, it, it's such a healthy reminder that, I, you know, a good board of directors can make a good company a little bit better. A bad board of directors can ruin any company, no matter how good it is. So true. You know, again, it's one of those things that makes me sad, right, is, is to see what I think is an important company. I see it's a vital company. Company. If Twitter did not exist, it would need to be invented, but it's really hard to invent, right? It's very hard to create. And now that it's created, I, I, I see it being just kind of abused, just abused, right? And, and, and I'm fine. I, I don't care if Elon buys it or not. I, I, I mean, that doesn't, it doesn't worry me or concern me and kind of, oh my God, you know, or, or you know. So, so, so that's on one level. Again, it just kind of makes me sad. And, and, and it's just, I don't, I don't know. I, I think of, of, of Elon as being kind of a, a spectrum-y tech bro, you know, who's, who's like the little kid in the twilight zone who can just wish something and it happens. And so he does all sorts of terrible things. The things that are funny to him or entertaining to him and that fuck up people's lives. I think that's Elon Musk, a spectrum-y tech bro who's got so much money, he becomes like the kid whose wishes come true on, on the twilight zone. I don't, I don't know what there is more to say about Elon, right? But what I find fascinating were the kind of the larger, potentially, especially the political narratives around Elon coming in and how this too got auto-tuned into our left-right dimension, where on the left, it was, oh my God, this is the death of, of, of you know, this is how democracy dies in darkness, you know, after, you know, freaking Bezos buys the Washington Post, that's a good thing. And, and on the right, I mean, I, mean, I just, I'll call it on the MAGA right. I just, I, I just, what what bothered me particularly, and I and I and I think this is something we see across our society. Uh, we see it in crypto. We see it at the Fed. We see it in the the political discussion around Twitter. Is this notion that if only we had better code, all these problems would go away, right? What's the problem in crypto world when you know one of these you know protocols gets broken so like well growing pains we just need to write better code right what's what's the problem at the fed well you know we just need to, to tweak our models a little bit we just need better inputs we just need better code what's the solution for twitter and you know it's like oh well we just may need to make the algorithms transparent right and so so we can see why i'm being shadow banned not be shadow banned is it nobody cares about what you're saying Little shadow ban things. It's, 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 like I've been on Twitter so long, right? And and I can I can tell you when I get more followers, it's very easy. Is when Twitter promotes one of the tweets I've got. When they when the when they when it hits whatever the algorithm they so they say, oh, you know, you might like, you know, and I, I get on the little sidebar for whatever reason. It's not that people aren't seeing my stuff because oh my god, Twitter's trying to shut me down. No, it's just that it's the absence of being promoted, and you're not being promoted because nobody gives a crap what you're saying. In your little MAGA, you know, echo chamber. But here's the idea, right? Oh, we just need to make those algorithms transparent. And then, you know, then we'll see how we're being abused. Stop it. It's not the algorithms. 
right? Any more than by better algorithms are going to solve these intrinsic issues with crypto. Any more than better models are going to solve the intrinsic problems with a church of the Federal Reserve that, you know, believes they can control this shit, that they can't. So, I don't know, you got me on my... Uh, you got me on my soapbox there. Yeah, Dan, that was but, good. But, but what, but what Musk trying to back out of this thing? I'm, I'm curious is because he's a child. You know, no, he's he's a telling child. you, Grant. He's a, no, he is a child. He's a, he's a, he's a spectrumy tech bro. Right. But, he, who, but he's who, also become the focal point for a lot of everything we talk about. In, in many people's eyes, he's that polarizing character who some people see him one way, some people see him the other way. He's had this tailwind behind him of positive media coverage almost exclusively for a long time. Anything remotely detrimental was very fringe. And to go out as the richest man in the world, to to try and buy Twitter and become this beacon of either free speech or suppression, whichever side of the fence you're on, has catapulted him now, it seems to me, into a place where there's an awful lot more mainstream negative press coming for this guy. A lot of people have looked at this decision and the way he's handled it and the way he's done what he's done in all sorts of other parts of his life, but no one really cared or noticed because it wasn't important like Twitter is. Does the narrative shifting around Musk, and you may disagree with me that you think it has shifted, but if it shifts, does that narrative portend bigger things or, or is it completely isolated and utterly irrelevant? I don't think it pretends anything. I think it's full of sound and fury signifying nothing. You know why? Because Elon Musk is a MacGuffin. Okay. Elon Musk is a MacGuffin. And when he made the offer to buy Twitter, a new Mary story was constructed around this child we know as Elon Musk. And it wasn't the story uh, that, that Elon Musk was used to. It became the political story of oh, he's going to restore President Trump to Twitter or whatever, or, oh my God, he's going to, you know, unleash the January 6th insurrectionists to destroy us all if he takes over Twitter. You know, he became part of that story. That he, <laughs> it's, um, it's, it's challenging when you're a MacGuffin because you're, you're, you are just the object of desire. You're the object. You're not the subject. You're not the author of your fate. Right, right, right. right. So when he made this offer, when we made this offer, and he injected himself here, himself here, his MacGuffinness got became part of the left-right fragmentation polarization story that we're all all too familiar with. So now he's swept up in that current. You know, my, you know, good riddance. I, I, I mean, I say riddance. He's gonna be with us forever. Yeah, he'll be with us forever. I mean, he's gonna, you know, you know, he, Elon Musk never dies. He just, he just rises as the uh, as an apotheosis of the trickster god. That's it. I'm actually really serious about that. I, I mean, no. you know, he becomes this incarnation of the trickster god. That's another reason what it means to be a cartoon or a MacGuffin. You're not a real person anymore. The real person of Elon Musk, I, I think he might be interesting to be in a conversation in some respects. And other times, I think if you spent too much time with it, you want to blow your brains out. <laughs> right, I'm serious. Right, I know you are. And, and but but he's not a real person anymore. He's a MacGuffin. And well, you know, sorry, what? man. Listen, we no, no. It's the perfect way to wrap this up, right? We started with MacGuffins. <laughs> we've ended with a MacGuffin, and in between, as always, has just been 
so thought provoking. You know, I, I, I'm always so grateful you for finding the time for these conversations because I, I, I walk away from them enlightened, challenged, confused, illuminated. <laughs> but seriously, you, you always give me so much to think about. And, and the people that listen to this podcast, I know feel the same way because there are, there are so many things happening right now that bear introspection and bear deeper thought. But sometimes I know I struggle to try and think of them in a, in a different and productive way other than how I've been conditioned over time to think about these things, you know, and, and it's, you willingly try to step out of the, the train tracks of thinking that you get on and try and think, okay, how do, how do I frame this a different way that will help me understand it, not necessarily better, but from a different perspective. And you have a remarkable gift for doing that. And I, and I thank wow. you for sharing it with, with not just me, but with the audience. Well, thank you, Grant. I really appreciate it. I, I, I love our conversations. It's, it's the highlight of my week for sure. Well, listen, um, we will do it again soon. There's some other stuff I want to talk to you about that you're doing, but I want to, I want to save that so it's not just an adjunct at the end of, of what has been a fascinating conversation. So we'll save that till next time. But um, Very good. Ben, in the meantime, again, you know, I, I can't thank you enough. I appreciate your time. I appreciate the service you do with your writing um, in the community and the effort you make to try and make sure people do understand these things better. You, you can't solve everything, but, but I think by trying to understand things better, everybody wins and and i think everybody owes you a debt of thanks so i'll on behalf of them say thank you well you're very welcome and uh, you and me both brother let's keep fighting the good fight all right mate i'll talk to you again soon thanks so much thanks grant well i hope you enjoyed that conversation as always ben is just so fascinating to get a chance to speak to uh, if you don't follow him already you really should change that you'll find him at epsilon theory on twitter uh, the website is epsilon theory.com and you know ben's work is so different and so unique and so thought-provoking if you haven't uh, tried it yet then i would urge you to give it the once over and um, i think you'll find when you do that it quickly becomes indispensable that's it from me for another edition of the narrative game i'll be back again soon with another podcast thank you so much for listening Nothing we discussed during the narrative game should be considered as investment advice. This conversation is for informational and hopefully entertainment purposes only. So while we hope you find it both informative and entertaining, please do your own research or speak to a financial advisor before putting a dime of your money into these crazy markets.